Scottish Football Forums podcast. This week we're joined by a special guest, Tom, who comes from scottishfootballblog.co.uk and he's also on Twitter at scottfootblog. Hi Tom, how are you doing? Hello, not bad. Glad to be here. Thanks. Good, good. Nice to have you. And as usual, back to that Laurie, as usual we're joined by Laurie, a co-host. There's, no, there's nothing, no, is that all the superlatives you can come up with now. After last yep. week's amazing introduction, and now you're you're back to as usual. There was complaints. That, yeah. Nice, nice to be here. Nice to have a, a Hibs fan on for a for a change, especially since uh, both our clubs are on the the front and back pages just now. So yeah, lots of topical things to to discuss in Edinburgh. Laurie, what's this I hear about you making a comeback for football at the weekend? Oh yeah, I made a after two years without so much as playing a game of five asides or having a kick about. Uh, I played a full ninety minutes on uh, Sunday, which was how how are you feeling now? Are you sore? I'm a bit sore today. We'll see my centre half as well, so there was lots of kind of jumping in for headers and throwing in throwing myself into tackles. So it's it was more the I wasn't worried too much about the kind of cardio running about. It was more the the physical side of which I've not played for for a while. And I was fine on the day, but today, which is 24 hours after, I'm feeling it a wee bit. But we won. We won 6-3. So it was, it was a reasonably positive day. Good stuff. I thought we'd we'd go into the, the first game, and that is the Europa League tie between Celtic and Wren. And I, I've been practising for these, Laurie, so when I go through the scores, I've, I've been practising. So the, the actual score of the game was 3-1. I went for a a 1-1 draw. Laurie, you went for a 0-0. And Greg, he went for a a 1-0 Ren. So, to be honest, we were all rubbish at that. Did either of you watch it? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) By all accounts, I think the Celtic were were pretty lucky. Although the scoreline suggests otherwise. But from what I've seen in the first half, Ren were... They looked a good side. And, well, they went ahead and it was only about five minutes, I think, the, a, a, a bullet ahead of. But, yeah, I think Wren were the better team overall, but nobody really remembers that in the, the long term. It's uh, the three points and the scoreline that matters. So, well done to Celtic for for proving us wrong, really. Sign of a good team if you're playing badly and still winning. I'm sure Neil Lennon would tell you that. Yeah, you're right, yeah. I mean, it's a good result, don't get me wrong. I mean, as much as I don't, really care so much about Celtic's Europa League campaign and to be honest at the moment I don't think it's really top of their list of concerns I mean I don't think they're going to get out of the group whoever whether Sion come in or not I think it'll be Udinese and Atletico who ultimately get through the group but I guess a win's a win and it's certainly the positive they didn't lose you know another loss would have dented their confidence even more so a win's a good thing but I don't think that's their their main priority just now yeah, it gives them a wee bit of a chance of getting through if they if they beat. I think they both need to beat both Udinese and Atletico, which could happen. Who knows? Who knows? So moving on to the SPL, and Tom will let me bring this one up: Hibs against Dunfermline, which finished one nil to Dunfermline. Despite well, from what I have seen, Hibs seemed to dominate the the match. Um, did you get to see it, Tom? Were you there? Yes, I was there, and uh, I'm not sure it was dominated. It was an abject afternoon at Eastler Road. They were dreadful. I've seen the highlights, and I, I didn't think that was a reflection on the game at all. The Dunfermline yeah. maybe not great, but Hibs uh, were woeful. Yeah, I mean, I read. I mean, JB brought it up on the forum. He said just read the analysis of the game, and he said that he said Hibs had 71% possession. That sounded sounded a lot. Well, maybe it's. Uh, I don't quite know how that happened. Possibly it does. I I wouldn't have guessed that figure from watching the game. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just it's one of those things that I don't think Ibs can really get anything right just now. And you know when 
when ex Jambo Awesome McCann comes flying in with a finish like that to score that things are just going from bad to worse. And Andy Kirk almost scored as well and I have to say I did almost chuckle at the thought of that, but well what what can I say just now my heart's fun. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's one of those results that it was the, the nail in the coffin, not just the AGM coming up, but Dunfermline are, are an awful, awful team. I don't think Dunfermline have got much about them at all. And to lose at home, I think that's that was Calderwood's, what was it, one win at home since February? And it's just... It is, yeah. That's just... I think uh, it was the tipping point because uh, Dunfermline came and whether Hibs had 71% possession or not, they had no spirit and too many players are just really not up to it. Uh, Dunfermline at least showed that they had some fight about them. And I think that's why it, the, at the end the boos were so uh, so pronounced because it was just it was just one of these games when the players don't care, the manager doesn't seem to care, so something's got to give. It was the end of a bad era, really. Yeah. I mean, we'll get on to, we'll, we're going to have a wee focus on the Pibs job and Calderwood, I think, after we, the rest of the SPL. So we'll save our, our opinions on that for that. <laughs> so the the scoreline was obviously 1-0 to Dunfermline. I went for a, a 3-0 victory for Hibs. Uh, I was confident. And Laura, you'd, you went for a 3-1. I know. I even backed Hibs on my coupon as well. I mean, what's that all about? I back Hibs. And... Uh, you're, you're turning. <laughs> Greg went for 3-0. So moving on to the, the next match, which is the match of the match of the weekend, maybe even the season so far, and that was Killy against Inverness, which finished 6-3 to Inverness, which I still struggle to believe because i never seen this one coming at all. I went for a 0-0 <laughs> prediction, this one. <laughs> a boring 0-0. Laura, you were the same. Greg was, was slightly better. He'd went for a 1-0 victory to Killy. But it looked entertaining stuff in the highlights. It would have been good to have been there. Yeah, I think I saw the highlights. And to be honest, that's some of the worst defending I've I've seen. I, I don't know what. I think uh, I think Shields did a Jimmy Calderwood and uh, tried to, to, to turn things around by... Bringing on attackers for defenders when you were clear, <laughs> when you were clearly on the back foot and and not because I mean the first half it was one one but I thought it looked like Inverness could have been a few goals ahead by that time and if anything from what I've read and what I heard six three defeat flattered Killy a lot and um, some of the goals in the second half it was just like it, it was ridiculous I would have been embarrassed in my centre half display at the weekend after two years out <laughs> if I'd been letting goals. If I'd been letting the ball come through so easily, it was just it was ridiculous. But a lot of Inverness fans have said that that's the sort of result that's been coming. They've seemed to have no luck this season. They seem to be dropping points when you know they really merited at least kind of getting a draw out of games. So it's good to see. But um, God, yeah, that that defending is just. I think it, Japester on the forum says Kelly's defending was shocking by all accounts. Losing six goals would be enough evidence of that, you'd think. We murder McLeod. Certainly like to state the obvious. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a, a good win. Did you catch the highlights of it, Tom? Or? Yeah, I've seen the highlights. It was, uh, well, it's a strange one because uh, God backed Kelly to win at home and uh, they didn't. They got embarrassed, really. Uh, strange because Inverness have obviously been struggling, but the reaction from the Kelly fans after the game seemed to be... Uh, Kenny Shields is turning out to be something of a disaster. So, interesting how he recovers from this. There was boos, I noticed. At the end of the game, I suppose, fair enough. But the boos were quite early. I think even the third goal was boos. And I thought, maybe a wee bit harsh. I mean, they came to Tynecastle last week. And, you know, by all accounts, they didn't play particularly well. But they came with a game plan. And they kind of snuck away with a victory. And it's a funny league just now. It seems that... Pretty much everyone can beat everyone outside Rangers who grind out the results. You know, Hearts can beat Celtic one week, get beat by Kelly the next week, and then Kelly can, you know, win against Hearts, almost beat Celtic, and then concede six against the team who are bottom. It's like. Probably because everybody in the way is rubbish, I think. <laughs> That's where we get our excitement from incompetence. 
<laughs> you definitely t- you can definitely tell it's a Hibs fan on with that sort of view on it. I've got to be a bit more optimistic. <laughs> it's because everyone's so good and competitive. Come on. <laughs> Did you see uh, Shinny's goal for his hat trick when he when David Davis beat four men and Shinny just came along and nicked the ball off his toe and went on and scored? Oh, I would have been raging if that was me. The hard work had been done. Did you also notice that Gregory Tarry seemed to forget what offside is at that point, waiting for the pass, and then he looked like he was unhappy they didn't get it, and he was literally about 10 yards offside. He just kept running and running, and that's why Davis had to keep going. So He's a funny one, Tarry. Some weeks he seems to be cool and collected in front of goal, and other weeks he just looks like he doesn't belong in this sport at all. <laughs> I was going to have a dig about your game at the weekend there, but I won't. <laughs> hey, look, I'm I'm not a footballer, so you know I, I'm I don't I'm just immune to that. That doesn't count. So the next game up is Rangers against Dundee United, which finished three-one to Rangers. I went for a one-nil victory for Rangers. I thought they would find this tough, and despite the scoreline, they did find it tough. I thought Dundee United looked very good. I was watching uh the highlights, shall we say. Uh, and yeah, Dundee United looked really good. I think the the game changed with the penalty because at that point, when Rangers were only one 0 up, they did look fragile, put it that way. If it wasn't for McGregor's wonder save from Goyan, it could have been a very different story. Laurie, you went for a two-two draw, the same as Greg. So you are rubbish, to be honest. You're getting zero points in the SFF predictor for that, whereas I'm getting one point. I just I fancy Dundee United. They always give Rangers a good game, and the Ibrox. I think they maybe just started to find their feet again. United and Rangers. They're just one of these teams at the moment. They get the results, and they just seem the best of a bad bunch. They they get the results without playing particularly well a lot of the time. And again, it seemed, I think Houston said they got out of jail and again, Rangers didn't play particularly well, rode the luck at times. But in the end of the game, they've got more goals than the opposition. And as I keep getting told on the forum, that's why they're champions and, you know, that's why they will be champions again. Unless, of course, there's any docked points, but that's a completely different story. So... I mean, Sheeny Bob, Rangers fan on the forum, says, I was at Ibrox yesterday and Jers were average. Davis had a poor game. Papac is never a midfield in a million years. Whitaker thinks he's a, a Mara effing Donna and Mackay looks like a 14-year-old school by. No width to the play and very predictable from Jers. Christ, you'd think they lost, but um, <laughs> shows that, again, they're not playing well. But it's the results that count, isn't it, Tom? Yep, absolutely. And they just keep grinding them out. Yelovich offers them a bit of quality up front. Look, you can't knock what they're doing. They're supposed to be the club in absolute crisis. We're supposed to not know one week to the other whether they're still going to even be in existence. But they're running away with the league at the moment, so maybe Ali McCoy still have the last laugh yet. It's almost created a kind of a stronger team spirit with the the tiny squad Rangers have had over the last couple of years and all these issues, it's almost created that sort of camaraderie between them, it seems that, you know, they do seem a very a very, a very, very good team as opposed to Celtic where they seem to have a few decent individuals, but as a team they've not been doing it collectively. You know, Rangers seem to have that sort of, that that extra bit of fight in them that they can grind out the, the results and they have that belief that, they're always in games and they can always get a goal when they need it. I mean, Naismith will be a loss, so it'll be interesting long-term to see how they deal with that, but I think with that lead they've got, unless, as I say, any financial problems do come back to bite them this season, I, I can't see anyone else winning the league other than the team in blue in Glasgow. Well, I was just going to say, there should be quite a lot of people quite embarrassed at the way they slagged McCoy stuff when they, when they went out of Europe when went out of the League Cup, well, he seems to be doing all right from where I'm sitting, so good luck to him. He wouldn't be the first old firm manager to start with European disasters. I mean, I remember, I mean, Gordon Strachan won the league his first season, did he not? And he got, they got absolutely horsed in Slovakia, didn't they? Yeah, and the, the first leg, yeah, and I think they almost brought it back. They destroyed, yeah. Yeah. Did you see uh, Greg Wilde's kick out? Uh, was it Willow Flood? It's, it's another one of these. It's, it's nothing in it. I, 
you know what my thoughts are on the game going soft, and it just, just nothing. You know, like, I don't know what Bartley was doing. Seemed to be running at Flood, accusing of him of getting kicked. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know if Flood maybe yeah. said something, but same in the Motherwell game as well. It's like Christ, it, it's a contact sport. I mean, if someone gets headbutted or punched in the face, I understand it, but I think personally, I think. It's it's all gone a bit soft and fair enough. If it had been against Hearts and he hadn't been sent off, I probably would be moaning about it. But that's just because that's what we expect from everything. I think at some point we've got to realise that these things happen. It's a silly move by the player, but violent conduct. I mean, please. I thought it was credit to Flood because he, well, he just walked away, didn't he? He just accepted this, just a almost a, a nothing kick. So there was no complaints from him, but. I don't know that it's a letter of the law, isn't it? It's, it's a, a violent conduct, so he has to go. He would have known that at the time, so I think it was just lucky that the, the game was won at that point, and he's going to feel it when I think he's got a two-match ban, I heard. Is it not three if it's violent conduct? No, I think sure it was a two-match ban. He had till three o'clock today to appeal that, but I've not heard that he has, so I presume he hasn't. No, I think McCoy's kind of said afterwards it was silly by him, so I can't imagine they were going to appeal it. But I get the fact that it's, you know, letter of the law, you kick out or whatever, but it just seems that there's, there's so little in these type of things that it just doesn't seem worth sending offs, but that's the way it is, I suppose. Yeah, so the the final match on Saturday was uh, St Mirren versus Hearts, and this was the, the match that Paul Band had picked for his charity bet. And the Paul Band charity bet is when we pick one match, which will finish nil-nil. So Paul picked this one, and it came up trumps. I managed to get 8-1 to one on it, so a £5 on at 8-1. to one. A nice healthy profit from week one. So I'd actually predicted a, a nil-nil as well, because I've got faith in Paul. His system does work, so I would have got three points from this. Laurie... You done rubbish. You'd went two one to Hearts. <laughs> Got me optimistic. You'd... Greg, he'd went for two one to St Mirren. So it actually looked a, a good game from what I seen. Even though it was nil nil, did look entertaining. Depends who you talk to. I, I I listened to the game. Couldn't get any coverage of it. Um, but yeah, it sounded end to end. I mean, by all accounts, St Mirren seemed to be playing. Uh, creating better chances and coming closer to scoring as we seem to be getting used to in recent weeks because we seem to have forgotten um, that you can play a striker, which is getting even more frustrating when you see what happens when you play a striker against Kilmarnock and six goals go past them. But no, we, we, we continued with our zero up front, the old Craig Levine philosophy. And Stephen said, I feel sorry for him just now because we play him as a lone striker and he if we're going to play him up there, we at least need someone running off him, and it just it doesn't work. And we even moved Scatchel into the centre forward role at the end, and I'm just like, if you don't like Sutton, fair enough, but put someone there, put Stephen Elliott in there, put Gordon Smith, put Garrick, put anyone, just put a striker in there, just someone who's you know going to play that role. But um, I think St. Mirren will feel hard done by they didn't sneak a win. Kello was man of the match from what I heard and what I saw. A few great saves from him, so. I would say it seemed that St Mirren were maybe worthy of edging it, but obviously Abua pulled out his, his one amazing shot, which he occasionally does, doesn't do much else, but every now and then he pulls out a pile driver. Unless he's playing Hibs Easter Road, of course, he can score a couple against them, but then again, who can't? I don't know else to say, I'm not surprised, nil-nil, we're not scoring much goals just now, but we're still solid at the back, we've got decent defence and a decent keeper, but at least play a striker, please, Paolo. Come on. I went for the nil-nil, so I was quite happy. Uh, Hearts seem to be lacking a bit of spark and up against uh, Scotland's new number three uh, goalkeeper. <laughs> nil-nil. It's always going to be a nil-nil. I just I couldn't see it being either team winning and I couldn't see either team scoring many goals. So. Why wasn't Samson... Nil-nil. He wasn't feeling very generous this time. He likes to give you a lot of goals, you know? Come and come out and try and take it around Ryan Stevenson, you know, it's, make it fair. Well, he, he maybe he maybe knew already that I was going to be his new teammate this week. So, <laughs> so there was there was no sweets on show in the highlights from what I seen. 
Aye, Danny, disappointed. Maybe Danny Lennon can afford any this week. He used all his midget gems for the ref last week. Did you read the story about it last weekend? No, I didn't. What was? He was. He said he hadn't had a big breakfast, so he was uh, short of energy. So he was asking about. He said that there's always sweets in the dressing room, so he managed to get a bag of sweets. And the fourth official had missed something, so Lennon offered him a sweet and said, "I hopefully that will help your concentration." <laughs> Some good banter from him. Ah, it was, was in the sun. It was a big big interview just on his sweets. He likes Argentina chews, apparently. What, whatever they are. I'm absolutely fascinated by Danny Lennon's career because he just comes up with stuff and it's just brilliant. I don't know how his career will end, but there will be a film made about it before he dies, definitely. <laughs> See, if Paolo Sergio had offered the fourth official some sweeties, he would have got sent to the stand. <laughs> Sergio would have sent him to the stand ah, exactly. for asking <laughs> so moving on to Sunday and the big game the weekend was Motherwell versus Celtic Motherwell were obviously looking to prove that they really are title contenders and Greg was suitably confident he'd went for a, a 3-1 victory to Motherwell so confident but well, I'd went for a, a 2-1 to Motherwell. Laurie, you went for a 3-1 to Celtic, which was probably the most realistic of the, the predictions. What do you mean the probably finished... the most? You both bev- you both backed the wrong team. <laughs> but yeah, I'm only maybe the, be- the most realistic prediction. I was only a goal off getting the score exactly right. God. It was the closest wrong prediction. Aye, but I, but I got the yes. I got the winner Aye. right though. You know, come on. Yo. Aye. <laughs> so Celtic won it two one, and from what I seen, they were the the better team overall. Motherwell seemed to to try and bully Celtic, and the referee was kind of playing along. He didn't seem to want to bring out any yellow cards. Did either of you watch the game? Didn't start saying that. Enough conspiracy threes already. You don't need any more. Um. I saw the second half, uh, I was playing football, as I say, so I missed the first half, but yeah, it didn't seem an especially great game and a welcome result for Lennon, good start from Motherwell, Celtic showed they can bounce back, Stoke straight away, why he hasn't been playing more early in the season, uh, only Neil Lennon and Stokes really know, but they dug it out and uh, the wing king, Paddy McCourt, changed the game it seems and that wee man Hooper seems to have found his scoring feet as well. So, not seeing much of the game in total, I couldn't really say who'd maybe deserved it more. But it's uh, certainly a welcome victory for Celtic, and I think that'll end any uh, thoughts of second place for Motherwell. Even at this early stage, I think we'll be back to the the one two, the Glasgow one two at the top of the table. I thought Paddy McCourt's run was was exceptional when he picked the ball up the halfway line and. I think it was Lennon at the end mentioned that uh, people are starting to take it for granted that he goes on these mazy runs. But it's just, I don't know how many players he, he went by. He just seemed to waltz by maybe three and then he wasn't greedy, made the pass, set up the goal. There's a, a few more runs he made as well. I think he's he really is a class act. But I just, I just can't work out why he can't do it week in, week out. Why he can't last a full game. So, Tom, I wonder what your your view is on the, the Hibs situation, the the news that Calderwood has been sacked. Well, it's a strange one because, as I've said already, Saturday against Dunfermline, it was dreadful. And the boos at the end, I've not heard that before in quite a few years of going to Easter Road. Uh, I've spoken to folk that are older than me who've said the same. So he had to go, but I don't really think there's the elation you might expect when an unpopular manager leaves because people think that the problems go higher up the food chain at Easter Road than simply the manager. Um, I'm inclined to agree with that. This board, this chairman, Rod Petrie, who have given us all these managers that they don't seem to be able to work with, that don't seem to be the answer to the problems. So there's a general despondency at Easter Road 
at the moment. Uh, we've got the AGM tomorrow night, which is probably the only time in the year that uh, the fans get to question the board and Mr Petrie in particular. So that will be interesting. I know that there's uh, protests planned against the board outside the AGM tomorrow night, so that will no doubt be covered by the newspapers and the TV and the radio. The headlines at the weekend were all about the, the protest after the match against uh, the board and Rod Petrie. Do you think that he's he's kind of struck first before the AGM? So to try and calm these, these protests, to try and uh, quieten them because he feels threatened himself? Well, there's, there's no reason for him to feel threatened, really, because uh, he's the only person on the board that's got a stake in the club. He's got a 10% stake in the holding company that owns the stands and owns the training centre down at uh, East Lothian. Uh, so unless Tom Farmer decides he wants to get rid of Petrie, then Petrie's quite safe. But he's not stupid. He, he's watched all these games himself. Uh, and Hibs were truly dreadful on Saturday, as they have been too often. And Calderwood looked like he could do anything about it. So Calderwood had to go. Uh, yeah, the timing is obviously maybe fortunate, but I don't think this time it's going to get Mr Petrie or the rest of the board off the hook. People are annoyed and they keep giving these folk the job, so at some point they've got to, in their own words, stand up and be counted. Well, I think it's similar to Aberdeen in a way. I mean, I think their problems seem to be deeper rooted than in maybe just management, even though McGee similar to Calderwood, had to go, you know, his his record, just, there was no there was no denying he had to go. But as arguments, people, a lot of people have been mentioning to me that Calderwood had quite a decent record, you know, with, with I think, um, Northampton he was at, and Forest, and then Assistant, he was quite highly regarded in some ways. And Maybe the Northampton fans and the Nottingham Forest fans would disagree with that. But certainly as a coach, he's been highly, as we saw in the summer when, Forrest came back in for them and Birmingham were after him as an assistant. Mm-hmm. That's another black mask against Petrie because he could have got shot then and banked the compensation money. But he stuck by his man and blamed everything on John Hughes. So That was a surprise for me, I think. Part of me thinks that the reason Aberdeen and Hibs are always hesitant, have been hesitant with certain managers to sack them was simply the compensation issue because we know one thing Hibs argued at the moment is is keeping the money sort of coming in and, and dealing with that side quite well. So I didn't think he really wanted to pay out compensation so early. But yeah, at the start of the season, they had, what was it, about 300 grand or something, I think, on the table. And he didn't take it. And I think it was at that point that Calderwood sort of lost any any sort of faith he had left in him anyway because he, he didn't seem to want to deny leaving. He was very, you could tell that he was thinking about leaving. And he wasn't, you know, if he'd come out and said... I'm, there was a piece in the Evening News today saying that very thing, saying if he'd come out and said, I'm in no interest going anywhere else, my thoughts are all here, I'm 100% with this job. But he didn't. He's kind of toing and froing and he seemed kind of tempted. And He said if two different people are offering you two different bags of sweeties, <laughs> yeah. you'll have a look at both bags before the sweetie feet. So, I mean, moving on to, like, who who's up next for the job, uh, the surprise candidate, I mean, there's been the, the usual um, names mentioned. Uh, <laughs> Jim Jeffries is in there, which would be an interesting choice. Uh, Shaba Laszlo, he was at the game the weekend, you know. I'll, I'll try to find a non-ex-Hearts, a non-Hearts reject. Uh, Michael O'Neill, he was, he's a, a strong candidate. He's been mentioned with a few Scottish football jobs, but the one from left field that was put his favourite in some bookies today was Steve Clark, the Liverpool assistant, which... Very surprising for uh, yeah. certainly in my point of view, and I think you said yourself, Tom, as well. That would be why why the Liverpool assistant would have any interest in in any SPL club, you know, maybe bar possibly the old firm, but at, at this stage, maybe not even then. You you would certainly question where that one's come from. Yeah, the bookies are normally. I, mean, I can't understand how that's anything other than a nonsense, but. Uh... 
maybe this will be the rabbit that Petrie pulls from the hat and Steve Clark will be in situ at the AGM tomorrow night. But, well, if he's the favourite, I'll not get big odds. So it's just as well that I wouldn't bet on it anyway. That was just, I was listening to the sports sound earlier and that's what some people are coming out with. I mean, I've said already that I think when you look at potential managers available, if you took uh, any allegiances or maybe the f- why, <laughs> what clubs they'd been at, uh, Jim Jeffries for me, the fact Billy Brown's already at Hibs, Jim Jeffries is very experienced, he's good at getting the best out of maybe not much resources, getting the best out of players. Uh, you'd think that even if it's only for a year or two, that he would be the best option, but... Uh, <laughs> His history would probably maybe come up more often than not. Uh, not just the fact he's been at Hearts recently, but, you know, he's a Hearts supporter. He played for the club. Although, in saying that, Tom, you know, he did play in a certain game, which I'm sure you'll know. I, I don't want to mention the scoreline, but you know, his involvement in that might maybe endear him to the Hibs fans. What do you think? Yeah, well, he was, uh, he was captain of the 7-0 game and uh, manager when we beat them 6-2, so... It has a connection with our great moments. But uh, actually, Jeffries, although I agree entirely with what you're saying, he's not the sort of manager that Hibs have gone for in recent years, not since the Williamson experiment. So I don't think, completely irrationally, folk mentioned Jim Jeffries and Jimmy Calderwood. I would prefer Jeffries of the two of them. But I don't think, given the way the fans are feeling at the moment, given the way attendances are going, is too big a risk to take Jeffries because if Jeffries comes in and has two bad games, then his history will be cast in his face and cast in the face of Rod Petrie and the rest of the board. So I can't see it. But You're probably right on that fact, yeah. I mean, he obviously wouldn't get much he wouldn't get much time if things weren't going well. But I mean, what about uh, Michael O'Neill? As I was hearing, that he was favourite at one point. He seemed to race it. I, mean, I know that he said he wants to see out the Europa League with that's Shamrock Rovers, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so possibly that's because those with Billy Brown already at Hibs. I don't think there's the rush that there might have been to find a replacement because the board will think that Billy Brown can probably do a job. From what I hear. He'd been quite frustrated working under Calderwood, so he'll probably relish the chance to take on a bit of bit more ability himself. So it's maybe a possibility. I don't know. I'm not sure Michael O'Neill will. I remember him from when he was at Hibs, and he's quite a fiery character. I'm not sure he's best suited to work with this board, but you never know. I was certainly more of a favourite than Steve Clark. But... Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Billy Brown. Do you think... He's got any chance of the job full time? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, again, I think they, although this has cost them a lot of money, uh, I think the board have to show a bit more ambition than that. But they might well say, look, we'll give them the job for four or five months while we're either waiting on someone else or while we weigh up our options. But I'm not sure he's a keeper, and Hibs have had a bad experience with a caretaker manager before when Jockey Scott replaced Alex Miller, and it all went horribly wrong there. So I can't see it, but if they can't find anyone straight away, then he's possibly going to be given a chance to prove himself. I mean, do you have any any favourites yourself? I mean, the other names there are thrown about are like Mark McGee, um, which... His Aberdeen, his Aberdeen spell would probably immediately make him be a, a, maybe a no-no. And Ian McParland, um, who's, I think he's assistant at Swindon, uh, if, uh, if I'm being correct with that. I think he has managed before. And uh, Shaba Laszlo as well, who was invited to the game at the weekend, so inevitably he was brought up. But I think he is Edinburgh-based anyway. I've thought about it. I'm not sure there's so many candidates. It depends what they want to go for. I always say in this sort of situation, which as a Hibs fan happens at least every 13 months or something, <laughs> I prefer to avoid the sort of SPL 
usual suspects, but I don't know. Go European. Don't do that. We've done that here. At, like, as for arts, we've had that many of these experiences, but it's one issue that short term, at least, not making sure that the very worst doesn't happen because, you know, some people are mentioning the fact that when you last got relegated in, a, in 1998, which very unfortunately is a, a year I remember very fondly, but you actually, some people were saying you had a far better team than in comparison to the league than what you do now, and you went down. I mean, there's all, there is that realistic danger with the way the team's playing just now. I mean, maybe short term, at least, you'd want to maybe get someone experienced in, even if it's a contract till the end of the season, just to ensure that stay in the SPL and then maybe regroup rather than if you go with maybe someone who's not used to this league or who's quite young, there's a risk that things don't get any better at all. I would agree with that, which again brings us to the Billy Brown as a safe pair of hands for a few months that they to get us through January safe. Although Brown himself is untried as a manager. But the, the team, I would say that the people are comparing the 1998 team is the team after Alex McLeish came in and tightened things up. By that time, we were already long gone as an SPL club or a Premier League club as it was then. I think uh, Jim Duffy himself has described it as a travelling circus he built at Easter Road. So that started well and they had more points at the same point of the season than the current team does, but that team... It had no spine whatsoever. That was a, it was a strange experiment, the Jim Duffy experiment. Talking of Jim Duffy, we could uh, go into problems at Hearts as well, <laughs> which is probably the next point of call. Which, uh, yeah. since we, since my team's also been in the, in the news a fair bit, and uh, I think maybe rather than going into, you know, we could go into the the wages stuff or the problems last week. I think maybe just to focus on um, Mr. Romanov's latest statement, which has caused a lot of sort of, um, a lot of uh, controversy today with uh, the fact that he's now selling up apparently and he's, he's off, he's off back to Russia. Um, Again, the media like to sensationalize things. I mean, to be honest, I read the statement at the weekend and maybe I'm, Maybe I took it the wrong way, but I felt quite, I felt quite positive about it. It felt like it was quite, even though he does at one point briefly quote Shakespeare, um, <laughs> by Mr. Romanov's standards, it was quite candid and it was quite to the point. What I took from it was he was basically saying, I've tried to fund it and we've tried to, to make the club generate more revenue. It's not happened. So now what I'm going to do is we're going to cut back and we're going to try and make a bit more self-sufficient so I'd take that to say that we've got an 8 million wage budget a wage bill rather and we've got an 8 million turnover just now we need to make it 60% rather than 100% which is going down to about 4.85 million which is what Hibs and Aberdeen kind of operate on which you know I'm quite happy to accept if he's going to say I can't keep putting low tens and tens of millions of in for us not to be going anywhere you know that's fine I can't say I'm not slightly disappointed at it but if, if that's his choice, and that's fine. And he said he's open to selling the club now. He's open to a partner. To be honest, he can't just walk away. I don't think that's an option for him, really. He can't just leave us high and dry because apart from the fact he owns 98% of the club, our debt is all owed to his bank and groups that are linked to it. So if he wants to go, then, you know, he can go and write off the debt if he wants. I don't think he's going to do that. So I don't think it's going to be a case of him disappearing, but I think he's maybe starting down the line that we need to prepare ourselves for that a future without him and you know that's fine by me and I was I posted a wee article this morning highlighting the fact I don't understand how a wage bill can't be 4.8 million but still operate with a decent core squad getting a decent wage and also having youth players to supplement it you know to, to kind of come through I mean I said 16 to 18 players on an average of four grand a week would equate to about three and a half million a year, which then leaves what another one and a half, one point three million on youth contracts. And even though you've got a very small core squad, you've then got young players to bring through and our under nineteens are currently If you're still banking on paying four grand a week, then he's paying far more than Hibs or Aberdeen are managing to pay their players. I don't understand how 
Hibs and Aberdeen wage bill is so high because I know that, I, as far as I'm told, I mean, I don't see the the wage slips for Hibs and Aberdeen players, but I know from some Aberdeen fans were telling me that a lot of their first team stars are only on a thousand pound a week. And I know Hibs wage cap is it yeah. is it two or three? Is it is it three Hibs wage cap? There was maybe a player arrived in the summer who ripped that wage cap apart, but uh, certainly in the main, I'm surprised if there was many at Easter Road earning three grand. Is player in question one who maybe have a habit which does need a bit more money? Is that maybe why? <laughs> yes, uh, fast cars, I believe, are his habit. Oh, the cars as well. I forgot about the cars, yeah. I was on about. That's what it is. Vintage Beano's. That's what he's in there. It's... Especially if he leaves cars, you know, trashes them and forgets about them. Check that out with the loyals before letting Matt go on air. <laughs> there's not another, uh, there's not a, a, what do you call it, a super injunction on, on it, is there? <laughs> I could tell you stories here, but they would certainly get us embroiled in legal proceedings, so I won't. But yes, think about the same guy I am. <laughs> <laughs> We're pro- just wild stabs in the dark, but that's what I mean. What I was basically getting at is, in terms of it, I mean, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's something more in wage bills that I'm not seeing. But I know this is play- player wage budget, and the, the problem for me is we've got thirty a thirty strong squad at the moment, and I just don't see the point in having thirty players, which are all pretty much most of them are mediocre. Some are okay. You know, you be as well have sixteen decent players on an okay wage and then get bring through youth players. You know, what's the point in having Dave DeBoer's lying about on decent wages? You know, he's, he's never going to be any better. Occasionally. Do you not feel let down by Romanoff, though? I mean, he comes out with this and I can see what you've taken from the latest statement, but it's still always someone else to blame. If he's spent the money that he says he's spent on wages, then hearts have been short change somewhere along the line. Oh yeah, we... Because I can't see where Hearts have ever competed since the very start of his reign that justifies that sort of spending on players. Oh no, we've made a me- we've made an absolute mess of it and we still are now. This is what this is what I mean when I work out wages in my head, when I when I I just I never really thought about it that way, but when I calculated that you could have sixteen players on four grand each and that would only equate to three and a half million a year. The fact that our wage bill was 13 million at one point. I mean, we were paying players the best part 20 grand a week at heart. I mean, we were playing Larry Kingston 15 grand a week. He never done it. I, I mean, he was a he was an odd one because I think he was a talented player who just didn't look like he was ever that interested in hearts. You had Mauricio Pena was on something like 12 grand a week and he scored a couple of goals and then slept with his international teammate's wife and I think he played about eight games. Mir Sad Bezlija, we paid almost a million pounds for him. We paid him eight grand a week for two years. And I think he played less than 10 games and he barely kicked the ball. It was like, we, we, we messed up the money that we spent. And a lot of that's down to Romanov. And to be honest, yeah, you're right. Short-changed, maybe. But to be honest, you look at the debt, which last figures, it's about slightly more than what it was when he came in. He's piled in tens of millions. So at the same time, he's put in a lot of money. So... I can sit here and argue all I want that he's shortchanged us, but at the same time, it, it was his money to use, I suppose. Um, like every club in this situation, extent to which you become a plaything of the millionaire in charge. If he gets it right, it's brilliant. If he gets it wrong, it's not so good. But you can't really complain because without that millionaire, there might not be a club. So. Laurie, what's the what's the chances of him basically up in sticks and leaving? Because you mentioned obviously the he owns ninety eight percent of the club and there is that massive debt that's that's owed to to his bank, which well he'll be earning earning money off it in interest. But what's the chances of him basically just folding the club and leaving? Because he's he has fallen out of love. Well, was he ever in love with Scottish football? But he's He's, his rant. he's never in love with Scottish football, but I do think he genuinely has an affiliation with the club now. And I, I think you could just equate that to anyone. What's with what's the chances of the Man City owners up and leaving and leaving them with where they are or Abramovich mm-hmm. at Chelsea? I, I don't think he will. I think it, it's almost, I think it works in our favour that the, the debt is owed to his his banking group. You know, he, he can't, if he ups and leaves... 
then it's not like suddenly we're owed all this money to a different organization. It's it's still going to be if we default on the the loan payments or whatever or the debt. It's his, he's going to be dealing with that then, isn't it? So I, I genuinely maybe I'm naive and whatever, and obviously no one can really say. Who knows? I don't think Vlad knows what he's going to do next. You know, it's that difficult. He's a he's an unpredictable character, but. I don't think he will just suddenly try and get out of everything and leave us high and dry. I think he could maybe well get rid of the club, sell it on. God knows who would buy hearts or any Scottish club for that matter, but he can always try. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. And I don't think anyone can say they know that Romanov is going to leave hearts in the lurch because you can never tell. And I think maybe we'll have to cut back. Maybe things will... We'll have a bad spell. I don't think Hearts will be folding anytime soon. I'll tell you that. I don't think that's going to happen in the same way that I don't think Rangers would disappear completely. I don't think that would happen. I don't think Romanov would let it happen because I don't see how it would how it would benefit him. He could cut everything. He could cut the wage bill down to a level which means he's not spending money on the team. They might be doing rubbish, but he's then still getting his, his payments on the debt, isn't he? Because there's a club there to pay the debt. Yeah, yeah. If the wage bill... I'm just thinking uh, the stadium. I'm thinking of that. That <clears throat> I don't know how much money you'd be talking to to buy that land. I spoke to someone yesterday about this. Um, and I, I didn't think it was going to be worth the 20 to 25 that it once was. I got even told maybe it was as low as 12 now, the land there. So, yeah. I think that's why he's very keen with this stadium move to go in. And I was going to maybe bring this up because I know um, Tom has mentioned it on his blog as well. The possibility of a partnership with Edinburgh Council, which I don't know if... Did you read the statement today from the director of Edinburgh Council, Tom? I didn't read it. I didn't yeah, see it myself. Uh, uh, well, it was, I think it, it was published on Friday, I think, but it didn't seem to be picked up. He's saying that uh, he's the director of development not sure of his name, I've not got it to hand, saying that the council are duty-bound to at least investigate this. Yeah, Dave Dave Anderson, it was. <clears throat> Sorry? Uh, Dave Anderson. Um, yeah, Dave Anderson. City Development Director. Yeah, I mean, I think they spent like 15 grand towards the cost of the study and they are looking into it. And I know what you, your views are and I'm still quite open to see what possibilities come up with they come up with. I mean, I was also um, Ian McGill, who was on the show not long ago, uh, he was mentioning the fact that, apparently, you know, the fact that Meadow Bank can't offer very much at the moment is kind of falling apart, and there's not many facilities around Edinburgh just now in terms of that, so it would be something that would have to offer a lot more in terms of the way to local amenities, maybe if it was in an area like Site Hill, revitalising I think is the word they like to use, that sort of area. If it offered a, a location for concerts and sporting events, as well as obviously hosting Hearts home matches, it, I don't see why that couldn't benefit the community. And obviously... The other complication is that the council seems to have already identified their preferred site for a stadium or an arena that's going to hold concerts out at Ingolston, yeah. which doesn't seem to include hearts in the plans uh, the way this whole thing has been so incredibly badly handled by both the council and hearts with hearts releasing the story about the report before the report was released before the okay, well do you know my views I don't think there's any way it can work uh, I don't understand how the council can get involved what's going to happen are hearts sell the land at Tyne Castle and put that towards the state, the new stadium. Maybe there is a lack of sporting facilities, but you can build sporting facilities for the population of a city without building a football stadium yeah. along with them. Uh, it all seems very sad. I honestly can't see how it can work. I don't see how this council can sell it to the people of Edinburgh. I mean, it was. I was going to say it's been done in... <clears throat> A lot of cities, though, I mean, like I mentioned, Hull in an article I did with the council put in 42 out of 44 million and the other 2 million was from elsewhere. I mean, Swansea, the council put in the entire cost. I mean, there was there was loads I didn't even know about. I mean, Coventry, I think the council put in most of the money, which 
of a I think 119 million in total. I think they put in a high percentage of that. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a council is putting a lot of money. I mean, even in Falkirk, the council paid for, although it's small in terms of what Hearts would be after, I think the council paid a lot of the money towards the Falkirk Stadium as well. Um, even though I think that only you were only talking, I think maybe 3.3 to 6 million or something it cost. But uh, I mean, there was a good deal done whereby uh, Falkirk were able to sell Brockville and clear off most of their debt and then go in with the council to build the stadium. The, but again, all the examples you give, with the exception of Hull or one team cities, uh, in Hull, a one-team football city, but a two-team rugby league city, uh, the council actually led to believe, gave recompense to the rugby league team that weren't going to be housed at the new stadium. And although I was asked the other day why Hibs fans cared about this, uh, I think there's a lot of Hibs fans who would consider that they're getting the raw end of the deal if the council were to get involved in anything with Hearts, given the way that Hibs have redeveloped their stadium uh, at their own cost, and the fact that Hibs twice approached the council to redevelop the existing council facilities for the training centre, and twice got knocked back, despite the fact they seem, and again, this is one of the problems that neither the council or Hearts have really told people what this deal's going to involve. Hibs, when they offered to build the training facilities, were going to fund it mostly themselves, although the council would be included as a partner. So it's a difficult one. And I hate to mention the trams, but <laughs> the council has perpetrated the most unbelievable abuse of public funds. So why should anybody trust them that they're going to be able to pull off building a stadium. Aside from the fact that people, whether they're Hibs fans, Hearts fans, or just live in Edinburgh, should be asking that Hearts are in debt. They've obviously got problems with paying wages. How do we know that the, whatever the deal is, the council are going to be able to secure the funds from Hearts? I think that's where Tynecast would come in. As far as, from my point of view, a deal would be you know, heart sell Tynecastle and use at least some of the money to put towards whatever the deal would be. I mean, I looked at Swansea's ground and they've got quite a nice ground a few years ago for twenty-seven million. I imagine you could probably get one done for less with a. I don't know. I'm no. I'm no construction or cons, first. I'm not a construction. I'm no architect. But you know, if you were talking, neither of the council, so you're fitting quite well. <laughs> so you know. I don't know. It's all hypothetical. I just I don't think it should be discounted completely. I I have to you know we'd have to wait and see what they come up with. Yeah, I, I would quite agree with you. I think I said when I wrote about this, uh, uh, my political outlook would suggest normally that uh, these sort of civic stadiums, where the stadium provides a community hub, are actually a good idea. But I'm not now convinced they work. I certainly don't think they work when it looks to me as a non-Hearts fan that Romanoff is in some way trying to blackmail the council into getting involved in this. And certainly, I mean, the the economic situation at the moment, given that, as you've already said, the money that Tynecastle is now worth compared to what it was worth six, seven years ago, that's also going to whatever the council land that they would need to sell to try and fund this or the sort of deal they would get if they were going to be borrowing money. I personally think there's still too many unanswered questions and I don't trust either this council or, sorry, as a Hibs fan to say it, but the current regime at Hearts to be able to answer those questions satisfactorily. But obviously as a Hearts fan, you're going to disagree. I mean, I'd, by no means... By no means am I saying I, I I completely trust either party, but obviously if some partnership was was brought into, I think there'd have to be some sort of assurances or, I mean, you'd have to take into account the sale. I mean, my, my mentioning 12, 15 million, I mean, that is by no means gospel. I'm mere, spe, mere, mere speculation or, I mean, 
it's all absolutely hypothetical at the moment. Yeah, I understand that. But um, yeah, I think we just got to wait and see. It was just another interesting thing to crop up. My feeling at the moment is this won't happen. Certainly not before the next council elections. I just can't see it happening. But well, I don't know. Talking about a site that's on the tram line, so maybe that'll work out for everyone. Parts will get a new stadium when the trams open in 2035. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good positive way to end it. I'll end it with Tom with Tom saying a positive thing about hearts and the trams. <laughs> yeah. Moving on now, since it's International Week, if I would start with discussing the Cyprus versus Scotland game, the big game next weekend. It's on prime time on Friday evening at 5 to 6 on BBC2. I don't know if that's building it up enough. But I, uh, Levine, obviously we, we failed to make the the playoffs, so Levine's taking his chance to to get some game time and maybe look ahead to the, the next qualifying campaign. And we're taking on a, a Cyprus team, which I don't know. I'm reluctant to say that we should be beating them. No, I, w- I won't go that far. But I think it, they, they'll give us a test. Uh, Laurie, what do you think? What's your predictions? Oh, we, I'm going to let you predict first before... Are we actually gonna, we're going to make... Uh, Cyprus aren't a bad team. Um, I, I can't remember what any of the recent results are, but I can remember them sticking five past the uh, Republic of Ireland. I've seen them one point. It was a couple of years ago, obviously, but I don't think they're a bad team, especially at home. We've... We've struggled against worse, put it that way. Uh, yeah, yep. It's a friendly. Um, my my caring of the game, of what happens, is slightly increased because Ryan Stevenson has been called up to the squad, although I would say the achievement status of that is maybe slightly diminished by the fact that Craig Sampson and Gary McKenzie and the likes have been called in as well. Everyone's sitting there on Wikipedia trying to find out who players are. But yeah, predict. Do I really? I have to make a prediction. Um, you do. That's the rules. Oh, I have no idea. So I'm going to say two all because I don't have a clue. Tom will know more. He's really looking forward to it. <laughs> it's been in my diary for months. It really has. <laughs> my biggest game of the season. Scotland will win three one. That's based on. Absolutely no evidence whatsoever, because I don't know the side this team, and I wouldn't like to second guess the team that Levine's going to push out. I will stick up for young Mister McKenzie though, because I think the abuse he's taken since he was called <laughs> up is absolutely outrageous. I mean, who's he jumped in front of, really? These games, you should be trying to look at people if he's playing all right for MK Dons. The the very least. All Levine can do is call him up and see what he's like in training, how he fits in with the rest of the group. But for the self-styled best fans in the world to put this guy through the abuse that I've seen he's taken is just outrageous in my opinion. So 3-1 with a McKenzie hat trick. (laughs) (laughs) This is is exactly the type of game where we should be trying out new players and, and giving them the chance because... Well, we can't really do it during the qualifying campaign when when points are so precious. So, yeah, I think give players like that a chance. Our next competitive game won't be for, what, six months or something. But why not try them out? Obviously, Craig Sanson's a bit different because... He's rubbish. Scotland's (laughs) third team should be a joke position. That's part of our charm. But, uh, yeah, give Stevenson. Stevenson's been playing well for quite a while now. Maybe not the best Hearts team for him to show his abilities, but I think he's been performing quite consistently. And it's either Mackenzie or Stephen Caldwell or Andy Webster. If he'd picked Wilson, then people would be saying, oh, you've picked him and he never even plays. So good luck to him. It's impossible. I don't know why anybody would want to be Scotland manager, and I'm not even really sure why anybody would want to play for them because the fans are just idiotic. What about your prediction then, Craig, since you've not given one yet? I haven't. I I was just checking out the, the FIFA rankings and Cyprus are 120th Christ. place, <laughs> whereas we are 51st. I actually thought Cyprus were better than that. Yeah, so did I. 
But Vladimir Rokov well, would have been able to tell you that because he knows the FIFA rankings off by heart. <laughs> he does. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm in two minds. It's a friendly. Uh, I really hope that that Levine really just just tries tries things out, tries different formations, different players. Hope he takes risks. Although the FIFA ranking obviously comes into play from the result, I think he should take this chance to to try out new things. So I'm going to go for a 1-1 one, one draw because I just think and I hope that he doesn't play it safe and he just goes for it in terms of, not in terms of attacking, but just goes for it in terms of uh, imaginative formation, <laughs> lineup, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 1-1. One, one. Imaginative formation. Are we, who are we talking about? Craig Levine? <laughs> so that's the big game on BBC2. Five to six on Friday. There you are. So I thought the Paul Ban charity bet. We're sitting on a tidy profit so far. We're sitting on a, a forty-five pound pot. Yep. From one week alone, so things are looking good for whatever charity we choose. So I wanted to to let you know what Paul Ban's pick is for this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's no SPL, so he's had to go to the SFL. And he has chosen a game in the second division. He has went for Airdrie United versus Forfar, and he's predicting it's going to be a Paul Band, which is a nil-nil. He says both are near the bottom. Both have found results hard to come by. But he says he's not overly confident in this one. I think he's feeling the pressure after getting the first one correct. Well, Airdrie will be delighted if they can keep a clean sheet after their weekend result, will they not? They, got, they conceded seven to Albion Rovers at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. So, who knows, but Paul knows best. He does, he does. He got it right last week, so aye, well, well let's hope for a, a goalless draw with that one. Yep, and I also wanted to bring up, normally we put £5 on the, the Paul Band charity bet, but I got a, an email during the week. There was... In the, the SFF predictor, we do a monthly prize, and uh, the prize is £20. Well, there's four people who won it, so that was shared. And I got a mention, I got an email from Scottish football fan on the forum, real name Steve, and he's donated his £5 winnings to the, the Paul Band charity bet. Oh. So we've got £10 to put on this week. Oh. I thought that was that was kindy, Steve. Very. I that was a good idea doing that. Very kind. You could always put it into the pot to make it fifty, but then I, I, I suppose if he wanted us to put it, if he wanted us to chance it, then uh, then we better we better oh, go. Aye. We better go. Oh, we're going to chance it. Aye. Because I Paul's going to win. He's going to. I don't know what kind of odds we're going to get because well the bookies aren't very good at giving odds that far in advance, especially for that kind but, of game. But <laughs> yeah. I ho- hopefully we can get something decent. I'm hoping for at least a, another eight to one, maybe higher. So yeah, hopefully that five pound does well, or that ten pound, I should say, in total. So thanks again to Steve, our Scottish football fan, from the the forum for donating that. I'm just looking odds of fourteens at the moment. Fourteen, yeah, fourteen well. to one at Bet three six five, William Hill, and Victor Chandler. Makes me sound like some sort of like I do this a lot. <laughs> there you go. Fourteen to one's healthy, but yeah, Paul's he wasn't too confident, but but yeah, I think that's just the pressure he's feeling it. Sorry, right. he's got the first one under the belt, so even if we lose a couple, you know, at least he knows we've we've got something. Yep. So that that brings us to the end of the the podcast, and I thought it was just, it was good to have you on, Tom. Good to hear your views on Hibs and Hearts. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, and Laurie, thanks again for for being the co-host. No problem, as usual, as per usual, here again. And I, oh, I, as usual. <laughs> can I just jump in and do a plug for my blogathon that I'm doing on the 19th of November? Yep, of course. I'm doing a 24-hour shift on the blog. There'll be an article every hour. I don't know what I'm writing about. I'll find out each hour. I'll need to write a minimum 500 words about it in aid of the Homeless World Cup and outside of Scotland. So, obviously, all donations will be gratefully received. You can find out about it on the blog or Twitter on the day. So, 
hopefully we'll make some cash. So yeah, what what's the the URL and the and the Twitter account again? Just to www.scottishfootballblog.co.uk and at scottfootblog on Twitter. Sounds sounds good. We're going to have a look at that. Yeah. I know Ian McGill, our former guest, he actually referees a lot of the Homeless World Cup, and he refereed at the. Uh, he done the final, didn't he? Yeah, in South Africa. So he'll be key. He'll be good. glad to hear of some more support for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, I'll maybe uh, give, give that a shout on the forum. Yeah. Hopefully, send some traffic that way. Hopefully, get get some donations heading your way. Cheers. Thank you. Right, so thanks both of you again for, for joining us in, uh, I think it's episode 17 we're on now for the podcast. I think we'll, we'll maybe have a party for the 20th. What do you think, Laurie? <laughs> maybe. Depends. Depends what, what what sort of things we're talking about that week. If it's something worth celebrating. Right, thanks again, guys. All right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.